Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sophie Scott. And I'm James Gill. Our mission is to make wellness accessible to everyone. We'll be chatting with our favourite people. Sharing uplifting news stories. And delivering tips and tricks. To bring balance to your lives. Hello, welcome to the Balance Podcast. Our guest today is Amrita Acharya from the Good Karma Hospital. Wonderful actor. Wonderful career. My goodness, I think we all need uh, some Good Karma Hospital in our lives right now. It's, um, It's a really beautiful show. It's a very heartwarming show. It is inaccurate to think it's... A gent- There's nothing wrong with gentle right now, Christ. But as you know, as uh, as Amrita says in this episode, there are some episodes that um, perhaps not what, what you expect. So we talk about that now. Then this interview took place just as what I will refer to as this thing. It was very much in the early throes. So again, we probably sound way too chipper. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, if we recorded it now, we'd be gnashing our teeth and weeping because that's not going to get any of us anywhere, is it really? I mean, crikey, we all have, I'm sure we all have our moments. <laughs> I don't want you, I, I, why don't I just make this a confessional? I find I'm, wait, I'm waking up at like four or five in the morning. I mean, I get up early anyway, but at the moment, it's like I'm waking up and my brain is going, well, you're awake now, sunshine. Um, and I've got to say, I, you know, on this podcast, I've said in the past about the ills of social media. I've got to be honest with you, people making me laugh on Twitter has has been a real tonic. Now, I'm still there for my wife and kids, and I'm sure you're the same if you've if you've got family. But I, I, again, I, I will say, social media has really made me laugh hard. Um, a friend of mine, Tom Cullen, with whom I used to work at Shortlist, he said to me the other day how he's either laughing hysterically or he's getting quite upset. And uh, I can really relate to that. I don't know about you. Drop me an email. <laughs> uh, James.gill at balance.media podcast at balance.media um get in touch reach out you know i'm, I'm on the socials james gill comedy app uh no that's it <laughs> at james gill comedy across socials and we are at balance ldn now then obviously as you can imagine balance like a lot of places it's tough out there for everyone so I would say, if you want to work with us, maybe that's integrated marketing. Maybe it's creative solutions. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you're a, a like-minded brand. You want to communicate with our audience. Um, 
if you listen to this on a Monday morning, maybe uh, I've used the word brand too, it's too early in the day. <laughs> uh, but reach out, because obviously these are trying times everywhere. Uh, and that certainly includes a uh, a beloved award-winning well-being and lifestyle title that is ultimately free. And so uh, absolutely get in touch. Sales at balance.media or try me, james.gill at... I've given my... I've given my yeah, okay, it's fine. James.gill at balance.media. I mean, I think I'm a pretty easy guy to get hold of. Oh, maybe I'm not. Maybe that'll haunt me. Maybe some of you have emailed me. I've never got back. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, but yeah, absolutely get in touch. Um, this is a lovely episode with a really lovely person. I couldn't see enough of a face. If I'm honest with you, I'm being way too candid here. I couldn't see enough of a face during the chat. So at times I, I can only see like, because of the, the microphones, that they're, they're massive. Um, but no, she was really nice, really good, really good energy. I really believe in that sort of thing. Um, we talk about her career. We talk about good karma, talk about all sorts of things. This is a, a very enjoyable freewheeling chat. I know some of you who get in touch, listen to this on your walks. I would say this is a lovely walking companion because she's a nice dude. She's great. Um, thank you as always. Also, I would say if you've never shared the balance podcast, I would say this would be, it would be helpful right now. <laughs> Doesn't matter which episode, share whatever you like, it will help. Um, and thank you as always. Anyway, without further ado, this is uh, a nice, warm chat. Take care. See you on the other side. What I mean is the end of the episode. <laughs> oh man, before we even start, I made a terrible first impression by revealing that I don't know much about dogs. Fucking hell. It's all right, I don't have dogs either. Do you not? No, I'd love to have dogs. Um, I do dog sit every now and then. Um, now, but it is frighteningly a lot of responsibility. Please tell me what that's like, because I'd I'd be more comfortable looking after mates' kids than the dog. I mean, I really enjoyed it, but I love going for walks, so it was absolutely fine. Um, this dog was huge. It's my friend Sam's greyhound called Ivy, um, but she isn't, I suppose, an ex-racer dog. So, God, I'd be even more scared. And she loves squirrels, so you have to like, oh steer her away from the squirrels quite adamantly. Right, um, okay. Yeah. Do you have any fine. pets at all? I had a hamster once upon a time. <laughs> that was pretty much all that my dad would let us have. Um, and its first cage wasn't really a cage because we didn't want to enclose it, so we put it into, um, I think it was a box that the TV came from. Right, okay. And obviously, I don't know if you've had hamsters, but they eat their way through the boxes. Never had hamsters. So... I had it for a day and then we spent the next day literally hunting the no! whole flat for it. We did find it. Um, but yeah, we bought a cage after that. It's not how you intended to start the relationship with the hamster. <laughs> so uh, from doing my homework, which country, in which country did you have the hamster? Was that once you were I there? Had, was that, in... that was in this country, funnily enough, right. in Bristol. Yeah, I did, um, I did. Actually, I did have a stray dog in Kathmandu once. Um, up until it bit my cousin and then my dad rushed us over to the hospital to get rabies shots just in case. <sighs> so... I'm a sucker for a lost cause. So some of our listeners might, might not know this. So can you please just talk us through? I'm not asking you to share your full life story because I'm mindful that, you, you know, time is precious and you'd be here for several years. But uh, where you were born and because then, then there was the move to Norway, wasn't there? Yes. So I am half Nepalese, half Ukrainian. Amazing. I mean, uh, straight away. Amazing. Yes, I hope so. Well, I think it is. <laughs> um, and uh, I spent my very early childhood in Ukraine and then moved to Kathmandu and um, 
went to school there and hung around there for about seven years, then moved to Bristol, different parts of England, Essex was where we finished up in Harlow, actually. Yeah. Um, and then we moved to Norway when I was 13 and a half. And how long have you been in Norway for? I, well, I mean, that is, I consider Still it home. Yeah, technically, yeah, it's sure. home. That's where our family home is now. And I mean, considering we never had a family home until I was 13 and a half, uh, we're quite sort of precious about it. <laughs> Absolutely. So it overlooks the lake right at the top of the island in Tromso, um, and we love it there. So my parents are still there, um, but I was there probably for about five, six years, and then I came back to London to go to drama school because I assumed that was how you get into acting. Well, without sounding like your agent, it's worked out pretty well. So worked out all right. Congratulations you know, on, on making that call. <laughs> now, from my vantage point, Norway just... I, I, now, I'm from Leeds, but I, I love London so much, I can't see myself ever leaving London. However... Norway just seems like perfection to me. So what, what is that like as a place to live? Do you know what? It's really funny because when I was there as a kid, I just remember kind of loving a lot about it, but really wanting to just go back to a big city. Um, and then it's only now, sort of as I trundle into my 30s, <laughs> that I'm a bit like, oh, I really like that chilled out lifestyle and the clean air. And, oh, so the, um, you know, you've got the woods and ski slopes right at your doorstep, the fjords. And, um, and just, I think the... I think that whole space that you have in nature there also translates into the way the people, the Norwegians are in terms of the work-life balance. Um, there's so much focus on being outdoors and so much focus on socialising, so much focus on um, kus, which is um, basically being cosy. And, you know, the Danish word hygge has been slung around quite a lot yeah. recently. It's pretty cool now. Um, but, you know, or hygge that pretty much means to have it cosy or have a nice time. And it's such a big part of the culture that I think um, Londoners especially could probably really take a leaf oh out of their book because it's Absolutely. insane. I mean, it's like a rat race. Please, now, please, you, you've you educated me already here. So, I'm going to mispronounce this. Coos. Coos. Right. You've done, I mean, all, I'm, pro- I'm probably still saying it wrong. It's a single syllable and I've I know, I've but do you know what? I still have an accent when I speak Norwegian. It's difficult to learn language and uh, learn a new accent after the age... I'm pretty sure up until the age of seven or something, you're pretty much like a sponge, right? And you can just get sure. all these languages in. Yeah. Um, so my brother and sister who are younger than me do not have a Norwegian accent. They are literally fluent, whereas I have these weird British and Ukrainian twangs coming in. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really quite interesting. But yeah, of course. So course. What, what's the closest we could get to that in this country? For us, would that be literally just sitting in front of the telly and watching Good Karma Hospital? I mean, that's probably a part of it. Um, but this, I mean, course is different for everybody. Um, so I, like, it's, it's to unwind, isn't it? It's to unwind. And I think course is often you can course with yourself. <laughs> I've no idea how you so, spell it, but I'm writing this down. K-O-S. K-O-S. Exactly. Uh, so you can course with yourself, which means you just have a nice time with yourself, you know, in whatever way you nice. perceive that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for me, it can be anything from like going for a run and listening to podcasts, which I've quite gotten to. Sure. Um, it can be doing yoga. It can literally be buying myself a bunch of flowers, having coffee, glass of wine. I mean, I, I think it's your own interpretation of it, but whatever makes you feel good and that it's time when you're really not stressing, you're de-stressing. Um, we, we probably all need a bit of Again, apologies to every Norwegian listener. We all need a bit of... Thank you. In our lives right now, don't we? I think so. I think so. I mean, I'm, I'm so guilty of just not stopping and and that need to be really productive. And I think we we really do live in a society, especially, you know, in places like the big cities like London, New York, LA, all, all that 
all those kind of places where you almost get a gold star for just doing five workouts before the you know before 6 p.m and i don't know reading five books and doing so, a podcast and it, listening to this and that and in london you you're, you are you are absolutely right and if if, if i was going to mark london down it is we're, we are all guilty of being it's almost a competition to see who can be the most busy isn't yeah. it and it's a shame because actually and i only ever get reminded of this whenever i have friends visiting london has so much to offer um, so true. If you want to have a bit yeah. of course in your life, you it's can. True. And there's so much for free as well. I mean, and there's we, a lot that you have to pay for, but there's so many events, so many things that are accessible to everybody. And actually, I don't think we make time for it. We really don't. But now, please, Christ Almighty, you, you, I've known you for about 10 minutes and already I, I, I'm thinking, where have you been all my life? Where, please share with me and our listeners things that we can do in London that is free that would give us a bit of. Um, Park Run is really good. Yeah. Park Run is great. That's free. There's loads and loads of events that, I mean, so I'm big into my fitness and I believe that it's so important for well-being. And um, a really good ex-colleague of mine and somebody that I've had on my own podcast, <laughs> um, Kim Nyo, uh, who's the Nike ambassador, she is part of a group of girls called Food and Lycra. And they really champion diversity for women especially. Um, and in in places like I mean she's a hackney girl so they run events that are accessible and it doesn't cost a lot of money or if you don't have the money they will still let you in but events where you can come and be be social and be active as well so there's all that kind of stuff I mean time out you go on time out there's plenty of things you can do go and walk alongside the south bank there's a lot of galleries um, and exhibitions that are free as well um I really wish I could say that theatre is accessible, <laughs> but I it's really get, feel it's like... It's getting better, isn't it? It's getting better. I mean, I was in New York last year and I was fuming about... I was like, how, how, how do you expect people to pay this? This is ridiculous. You know, um, and actually, I think London London is a little bit better with that. You can you can get, you know, you can get standing seats, you can get... Sure. Get prices that are a bit more affordable than the top ranking, you know. Um, have you seen anything recently that you would... I went to see Teenage Dick, um, which was amazing at the Donmar Theatre. And yeah, I mean, it's just finished, but that was fantastic. I tend to go by recommendation when it comes to theatre because there is so much of it. Absolutely. Um, and I think the older I've got, the more precious I am with my time. So if I'm going to go and see something, it's either got to be really good or it's got to really make me think about something. Absolutely. You know? So, yeah. What's been, What's been the best play you've ever seen? Oh, that's such a hard question. <laughs> I said, well, my, mine, if, this, if this buys you time, yeah. I saw Jerusalem with Mark Rylance. Okay. And I thought that was as good as it, it can get. Oh, oh, Wig Out. I went to see Wig Out oh, ages and ages ago. Perfect. And that was just amazing. It blew my <laughs> mind. I just had never seen anything like it at that point. And I was in my last year at drama school and I just remember thinking, oh my God, they're so fearless. This is just amazing in every every single where you can be amazing. So I just remember that having a really big impact on me. And then I've seen I've seen some really great shows in Norway when I was growing up, which probably got me really into the theatre as well. Um, all the Ibsens, especially. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, so I really enjoyed that. It's a difficult decision to make, but, I mean, that came to mind straight away sure. when you asked me, so I'm going to go with that. Uh, amazing. Now, I've read a lot about you. I've, I've been, you know, I've watched interviews with you. I've, re I've read interviews. Do you not think... It seems to me that, that good karma feels like such a, a perfect fit for you. Your your temperament, your your background, 
the the ethos of the show, the messages of the show. Do, do you do you do you feel that that it was one of those where the planets aligned with that one? It it well, Good Karma is what well, was the first um, lead I'd got in a British TV series. So in that sense, it was it was really big. The second thing that really appealed to me was the fact that it was the first time I'd really seen that many ethnic minorities in something that was that accessible and that people would watch, and that wasn't super specific. Um, and I thought that was really great. And I think, I think what really appeals to the masses with this show is that it really is feel good. And and I'm, I mean, I love all the gritty, hard hitting dramas and the, you know, crazy stuff that you that you can get, especially in the streaming and online these days. Um, but I think every now and then I really understand that need for escapism, and I think that's what Good Karma delivers. So to be part of that is great. Um, in terms of temperament, I think I've probably learnt to calm down from the character of Lu- Ruby. Um, oh, really? I've got terrible temper. Oh, my God. Oh, well, in, that, in that case, I'll retract my question. But I'm, I'm, re- to... I'm really glad that that's what's coming through, <laughs> you know. I just... Because the show has such a good heart. and I, I don't, She I, does. I, She's I got such yeah. a great heart. I do remember, I think I've said it in a few interviews, that, you know, how is it to play Ruby? Well, you know, my sister... My sister always said, yeah, she's a bit like you, just, you know, nicer. Which I thought was, was like, yeah, I guess, guess she is. Yeah, that's, that's about right. <laughs> right, right. Okay. I, I did not know that. Um, what have you, <laughs> is the, the the temper of you now, you're singing in terms of personal development, you, you're absolutely singing to the choir. Have, have you taken any steps to... Um, address the temper thing or is yeah. it just being from do you know it's not even temper it's more to do with just having patience and I think sure. as a person I'm just I want it done yesterday I don't care what it is it should be done yesterday and if I'm not getting results straight away I want to know why I want a scientific breakdown of why this is not working so I think sometimes like it's the last few years I've really had to just kind of go do you know what you can have a plan and nine times out of ten it's not going to go to plan so you can't get frustrated when it doesn't and that's something I think I'm still working on um, and actually last year I have this thing about I just like to take different courses. So last year I took a oh, module in um, in what was it called? Um, the, a foundation in in uh, counselling psychotherapy. Incredible. So I found that really interesting because I'm trained as a PT and a yes. yoga teacher as well. Yep. And from that I got really into behaviour change and is it possible to change your behaviour and habit making and habit tracking and all that kind of stuff. And then that linked really into oh well how do you deal with your own problems and how do you resolve issues you may have had in the past and how they affect you now and if they're hanging on to you how do you let them go so I took that course and do you know what the biggest thing I learned from it was just to be a better listener which is I think everyone should do it <laughs> so what's the name of the course there's loads of them around but it's, just, it's, just, a, a it's just a foundation in, in counselling therapy which is basically learning to listen to people and you know and I think again going back to that whole sort of rat race that we're in in London I often find that when you talk to friends or talk to people you often don't really engage in a one-to-one conversation because their mind is completely somewhere else or it's all really surface and actually if you really listen and if you really respond honestly it's almost like you just get this relief and they go oh yeah I can talk in a safe space you've actually you understood know. what was yeah talking you understood about, and I can theme, relate to you and and so I found that really interesting because I think that whole idea of communication can really it can really be a, a make or break. I think it's so easy just to go, oh, I want to be perceived this way and therefore I should say this X, Y and Z formula. But actually, I think everybody appreciates people when they're more honest and, for want of a better word, real, you know. I agree. Somebody so. once said to me, I used to cover Crystal Palace uh, 
home and away. But they had this fitness coach who was like, it was like Yoda. He's called John Harbin, Australian guy. And he once said that uh, people don't listen. They just w- wait for their turn to talk. Yeah. That really stayed with me. And yeah, it's so, yeah. I never want to be the. I never want to be guilty of that, you know. Yeah, totally. Mocking him, my wife cackling, but um, <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't apply to relationships so much. Sure, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> it's harder in relationships, I think. So I think that, it's harder. So you just, do you just have like this almost voracious thirst um, to be learning new stuff? I take it. Yeah, do you know what? I came from a really academic family, which is funny because. That I'm one of three, the eldest of three, yeah. and all three of us are incredibly creative. So my sister's about to do a PhD, and I wish I could. I'm not going to even say what it's in because I'll probably get it wrong. Okay, she's basically a genius. <laughs> um, but you know, she's got a pop up bookstore in Copenhagen that she wow. sources books for um, from um, from less represented communities. Um, my brother's studying film, and I decided to become an actor. But actually, especially me and my sister are incredibly academic, so. We just have this need to kind of, I think it's that whole restlessness as well, because we've moved around so much. If there's not change happening, we kind of go, what's going on? Why are we stuck? So um, in, a, in, a, in a profession like acting where a lot of it can be out of your hands um, and you can only kind of go and audition and do the best you can do and create your own stuff alongside, there's something really empowering about just going, I want to learn about this. Let me get a book and learn it, you know, Absolutely. or going to courses or, I mean, the greatest thing about this job is the amount of people you you meet um yeah i think that's that's the most interesting because you really kind of go oh yeah they they do it this way and that's what they're interested in i haven't i haven't thought of it that way so that's a privilege in itself that's a, that's a learning kind of opportunity as well how, how thrilling is it to be i mean this is dreamland isn't it to be the lead in a in a hit itv1 drama that is you know it's not just people don't just like it it's, it's beloved it's got that sort of following do, do you uh do you afford yourself those moments where you go this is this is this is really nice yeah i do i've learned to yeah. i've learned to because for a long time if i'm going to be really honest i would hit a goal and then i would always set the bar even higher so mm. i would never sit and enjoy it for too long because i'd already be looking at the next thing and I think after Good Karma, and especially on um, The Hollow, previously known as Because the Night, which I just finished shooting at the end of last year, yes, that was the first uh, time in my whole career where I went, I'm really sort of just, be. I understand what it means to be in the present and I'm really enjoying being in the present and I'm really getting stuck into this rather than kind of having one foot in the job and the other foot panicking about the future, you know, and what's Absolutely. coming next and... You know, and I, that's definitely a control thing as well. I think as human beings, you you want that control and that whole survival instinct kicks in about, well, where's the next job coming from? And, and how do I make sure I'm safe? How do I make sure my family's safe? You know, so actually to kind of let go of that and go, all right, well, right now I'm in this privileged position and I'm going to learn as much as I can because I'm surrounded by people that are so good at what they do. And I was lucky enough out of all the people that went up for this to get it. So if I sit here and waste my time panicking about something that hasn't even happened yet, I'm really missing out, you know. I, I, I passionately believe that you should be allowed to applaud answers in podcasts and the fact that it's not a thing. But that I, you, you. You, you, you are, you're singing <laughs> to the choir on this one. But I, I, I find that, that the older I get, I mean, that you've just you've hit the nail on the head. You know, the, you've got to learn to try to be happy now rather than 
oh, well, well, if I do that, then I've got to do that. And then if I do that, then I've got to do Because if, you, if you're going to be that way, then you, know, you could end up winning the Oscar, and then, but then you'd be panicking yeah, that you're not going exactly. to win it next year. You know, it's... Uh, exactly. And I think it's a kind of a perfectionist mentality, which, unfortunately, I think society today really applauds. That, to be a perfectionist, I don't see that as necessarily a great quality. You know, the most sure. balanced um, and often the most successful people I know are really cool with failing. They're really all right with making mistakes. They don't beat themselves up about it. They kind of go, all right, well, how do I learn from this and use it next time? Sorry. And how do I use it in my experiences going forwards to not, either not make that mistake again or do it a different way? You sure. Know? Um, and I think there's so much to be said for that. And I'm still learning to kind of go, okay, that's not a failure. Failure is, shouldn't really exist in the dictionary. You know, I wish you could think of a different word for it because it kind of just gives a negative spin on what's technically just an experience, what's technically just you trying. I mean, when we were kids, as, as a personal trainer as well, I think one of the biggest things I say to my clients when they go, oh, I don't think I can do that, I'll often be like, well, you can walk once, could you? You started right. by running around and crawling. When you fell down 500 times before you stood up, you didn't give up, did you? Sure. So I think there's so much of that, like, not recklessness, but that boldness and bravery that you have as a kid. And I remember, like, I think all the way up until the age of, oh, I think about 16, 17, just going, of course I can do it. Of course I can make it. And just being really cool with just taking a risk, um, especially with things that were creative. I think I was so comfortable in, in the space where there wasn't a right or a wrong, like, I remember really struggling with maths, even though I enjoyed it and was good at it, because there was always the right answer. Sure. Whereas in English, or in you know, when you were when you were thinking about giving your take on a religion or or a philosophy, there was no wrong answer. So you felt the freedom to kind of just go for it and try it out. And I think almost as you get older, oh my God. it's almost like society Mate. just starts closing in on you, and you that box that was never a box once that was just this huge round never-ending sphere that you could just hang around in suddenly becomes this really right-angled box that you have to try and fit into. And, yeah, I think can, we should all break out of it. Can you please write a self-help help book just so that I can read it? Because this is... Uh, <laughs> you're spinning gold here. But that, but that is... that is It's so true, isn't it? It is. No one teaches you. you this stuff either, do they? No, they don't. And, you know, and I know that a lot of schools now have been... I think my dad sent me... My dad's a doctor and um, he sent me some article, I think, about... I think it's been going around anyway, but um, meditation coming into schools. I'm so bad at meditation. I mean, one of the reasons I went and did a, a yoga course to become a teacher is because I hate yoga. Um, love hate. I still do it. But, jeez, it takes me so long to go, right, we need to do this today. I'm going to get my mat out and do it. And I'll, I'll do about 500 other things before I actually get to it that I deem more important, in quotation marks. But I never regret that hour that I spend on the mat. And that's the closest I can get to meditation is that moving meditation. Yeah. But to think about bringing things like that into school, I mean, I remember the levels of anxiety I used to have with exams. And I still, I still haven't learned to drive, by the way, because I'm so scared of that exam. I'm so terrified of taking an exam. So. <laughs> I'm not just saying this. This is so, it's so funny you say that. So I, I, I never learned how to drive. Did you not? No. And then uh, and I'm, you're still going. So you don't have to learn how to drive. Well, no, just I, saying. I, we did, no. I, when when my wife was pregnant with our first child, yeah. my wife said, "You need to learn how to yeah, drive." Yeah, it's different when you got kids, isn't it? And so I, I don't think I, I don't think I've shared this story. Uh, so. What happened was I was so nervous because I'm everything that you're saying here again. I'm, I'm just like this. 
I mean, I still, I still, there's times I wake up in the night and I think I've got a GCSE exam. I'm four, I'm 41. You know, it's, I, I felt the same way about exams. Yeah. I just hated it. Uh, so I had all the lessons in the world, not a good driver. And I, I honestly think my instructor just put me in just to show a bit of willing as if to say, you've done so many lessons, mate. So, you know, anyway, put me in for the test. Uh, I was so nervous that I, this is this is absolutely true. I was so nervous that I couldn't find the car, so we left the test centre together. Oh. And she went, "Do you know where the car is?" And I was like, "Yes, uh, it's here." And it and I pressed the, this is absolutely true. Pressed the button on the key fob, and a car thirty yards down the road went beep beep. And I was like, "Oh god!" Did you pass? Yeah, passed. What? There you go. But she she said, uh, "I mean, there's, there's fun and games along the way." But at the end, she said, "I'm pleased to let you know that you've passed." To which I said. You are joking. And she went, why would I be joking? And I couldn't say, because I'm a shit driver. I had to say, oh, I'm just surprised, that's all. What do you think made you feel like you were a shit driver, though? Uh, like, did you go into your lessons being like, I don't think I can do this? Yeah, I, I, I think I, there's a lot of that as well. I think I just told myself, you're not a natural driver, mate. Everyone else did this when you were 17. You're, mm. you're in your late 30s. What are you doing, you fool? That sort of thing. And then we, we, we did like, this is, oh, my God getting like PTSD here. we did uh, we did like we did dummy tests and so such a lovely guy my instructor I'm sure I aged him and he goes right we're going to start a dummy test and we are starting now and then I went through a crossing as someone was trying to cross and I carried on driving and I looked at him and I went I failed already I failed already haven't I and he said yes so the, that test lasted like tops yeah. three seconds so just stuff like that. It's interesting though, isn't it? Oh, because oh, don't have any tissues, trying to hold it in. Come on, get a grip. Um, jokes. I need like Oprah to come in there. Do you know what? It's so interesting because I mean, so much of it is mindset. Totally. And again, like I never realised how much of it is mindset until I really got into my my fitness. Um, but similarly to you, I'm so still move around because basically, so far I can I can see like a corner of your eye. Can I do that? If I do that. That's better. Okay, That's be- cool. Shall I move as well? Yeah. I'm, I'm probably making it worse, actually. Sorry. So, you, so you know, in Good Karma, we had to learn to ride a motorbike. Right. Um, and when I learned to ride a motorbike, bear in mind I've never... I have driven a bit um, in the States, which isn't really driving. It's just pressing go and driving on a straight road <laughs> and then asking someone to park for you, basically. Um, don't quote me on that. Anyway. Um, I, I, yeah, so anyway... Let's uh, go back to the story. The story is that I'd never driven in, in the UK. I don't know anything about... The, I don't get roundabouts. I don't understand the point of them. Sure. Um, it really stresses me out. The roads are so narrow. I mean, I just... just there's so many one-way roads and all, all the signs are, like, hidden. They, they, like, try and trick you. I swear these little road signs are just hidden on purpose. So, anyway, so I go up to... I can't remember where it was, up in North London. Edgware, I think. Yeah. And, and go and learn to ride... Um, a 125cc motorbike and love it by the way I absolutely love it whizzing around in a school car park and then and I'm like yeah that's fine you know that'll be fine for the for the show I can get on it I haven't fallen off and then he goes okay I think we'll take you out on the street and do your CBT and I was like what Yikes. what do you mean I fall off I, oh right before gosh. a roundabout pick myself back up and I just sort of had this thing in my head. Where I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that. I'm going to get that certificate. I don't care. I'm going to get it. And literally, I think we rode around. Because you, you basically ride around until the, you tick all the boxes for a CBT. So we rode around. Um, there was once when I kind of almost did a wheelie. I mean, it was crazy. Oh my God. It was mental. But I got, I got that certificate just purely because my mindset at that point was just, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to be on such high alert. 
And somehow, every time I came up against, I don't know, some, something that should have run me down or some kid that was blatantly shouldn't be playing on the streets, somehow I managed to avoid them. And I didn't kill anybody, you know, and did not kill myself. <laughs> And got the certificate, and I could ride a motorbike all of a sudden. I That's mean, amazing. all my friends were like, "How are you still alive?" Because um, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've got so many scars and Bumps stuff because I'm so sure. clumsy. Um, then the next year, we had to. Um, they wanted us to upgrade to the bigger bikes, and I'd ridden the bigger bikes the year before as well, and I was kind of fine on it. But I'd gone through a really big breakup um, that year, and my mind was just in a really bad place. And I had lost so much self-confidence. Oh. And I, it was just like, I was fine to begin with. And I fell off the bike. Um, and it was like a switch just went on in my head where I was just like, I can't do it. There's no way in hell I'm good enough to do this. And this whole concept of you're not good enough, you're not good enough, just became this terrible mantra in my head. And I couldn't, it was, I was supposed to go and take the test and I was fine for that whole week leading up to the test. I fell off the bike and literally that all that, self-confidence that, that shred of self-confidence that I had left that I'd been trying to hold on to sort of almost fell off the bike with me and I I remember the instructor who <laughs> bless his heart he was so patient with me just being like you know what you're not going to pass but let's just go there do the test so you know that you can get on that bike and not fall off and I went to that test center and obviously I get the worst examiner ever from hell who is just awful does not even like probably has never smiled in his life um, probably just needs some course and a cuddle. Absolutely, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't fall off my bike. I mean, I completely failed. There's cones flying around everywhere. I'm swerving around. Also, my figure of eight was like a, a figure of, I don't know what. Sure. I mean, the, probably an atlas. Um, <laughs> but I get through and I don't fall off. And to me, that was the biggest win that day going, okay, I, I can rebuild myself. I can get I can get back on that bike. Oh, wow. And, you know, I, I didn't, I never, never passed it. Um, and actually, since then, I've heard so many horror stories about people dying off motorbike accidents that I'm a bit, as much as I actually love being on a motorbike, Terrifying. I'm a bit like, kind of kind of want a bit longer to live on the earth, so I might not. But you've had like so, a yeah. cool runnings moment there then. Yeah, it was, it wasn't, yeah. You learned yeah. a lot, you learned a lot, genuinely. I did learn a lot from failing, and I think that was the first time I was kind of like, do you know what, I'm cool that I failed that. And it was really the first time that I felt like, um, I'm all right with that. So that was number lesson, the big, big lesson I learned from that. The year before, I ran the marathon, which I hate running, by the way. I really hate yeah. running. So I was like, I'm going to run the marathon because I can't run. Um, so I think I should, I should, I think I should figure out why I'm not good at it. So my belief is that the biggest lessons in life are when you do the things that you a think you're not good at, or b are afraid to do. It's how you grow, isn't it? I think so, and I. I'm really, I'm, I really don't like long distance running. To this day, I won't. But now I'll like pick myself up on a Sunday and be like, I'm going to go and run. And I'll only run for like until I get bored and then I'll run back or until the podcast that I'm listening to is over and I'll be like, all right, sure. time to head back and eat. Um, but I did learn, you know, I, running that marathon and I remember all my mates kind of going, oh, you're not going to get it under four hours because you've, you've not, you know, you're not doing any long runs. I was filming at the time in Norway as well. So I was like, fine, well, there's loads of hills here. So I'm going to run up and down hills instead. Um, and I never run more than 14 miles twice. I think I was doing a lot of strength training at the, on the side. I was yeah. following a program with my personal trainer specifically designed to, to, as I call it, injury proof me. Um, and I just remember going into the race being like, I'm going to get this under four hours, even if it kills me. And I had one, one rule for myself, which was, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to, even if I hit the wall, 
I'm not going to stop running. Even if I have to slow down, even if I have to walk, I will not stop running. Um, and I was teaching at a fitness studio at the time. This was pre-Good Karma. So I was doing my day job. And one of my clients, and I don't know who to this day, had written me a postcard. They'd obviously run the marathon before. And they said, good luck. Here's a tip. Every time you feel like you need to stop, just look at a lamppost or a tree or something in wow. front of you. And just tell yourself you get to that next page, next step. When you get to that step, find something else. And, go, and I did that. And That's it worked. Especially in Deptford where it's bleak. It was so bleak. <laughs> and, you know... Uh, when you're in those barren places in London where you haven't got that roar from the sure, yeah. spectators yeah, and yeah. stuff. Um, and I got through it and I did it in, in way under the time wow. that I expected. Um, and I proved them wrong. That's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely proved them wrong. And so when I work with my own clients, um, I always take take that mentality in where it's like you might think you can't do it, um, but you probably can. You probably can. And you're still you know. a PT now. Still, I still PT now. I'm very, I'm very few clients because um, because I like to give people attention as much as I can, um, but very loyal clients. So yeah, still PT now. Um, See, that's ex- that's extraordinary to me that you that you are, you know, your career speaks for itself. And to juggle that is, is that just because you love it so much? Yeah, I really love it. Yeah, I really love it. You must do. Also because mentally, I I think I think there are certain people, and I have so many friends that. Their whole lives are acting and, and they're cool with the downtime and they spend it creatively. Um, but for me, I, 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 it can drive me crazy to be so obsessive about one thing. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Absolutely. And so yeah. for me, it's really important to have a life where, you know, I love art and I love writing. I love reading. Fitness is such a massive part of my life. And and I'm bloody good at it with people. Yeah, so I'll so bet, I kind I'll of bet. thought, well, if I can change and help change and a few people's perspective on training, a lot of my clients are lawyers and people in really high stress jobs. And actually, it's not even about the After a while, it stops being about the aesthetics or, or it, you know, that kind of stuff. It, it becomes way more about, I feel really good in myself. I feel really healthy. And yeah, the scales are going down or my muscle mass is going up or I'm hitting all those goals I initially started with. But actually, pretty much every single one of my clients 
their goals have completely changed from what they were in day one. And it becomes much more about, I I do this because it really feels good and I love doing it, you know. And the impact it has on uh, mental well-being. Oh, completely. It's so hand in hand, so hand in hand. I mean, your body, if you really figure out a way to understand its signals and tune into it, I think it, it's, I mean, it tells, it's so good at communicating to you. It's just, we don't know how to listen to it anymore. I was listening to a podcast. I can't, sorry, I can't remember. I think it might have been Dr. Chatterjee's actually. Sure. Um, and he had a, a a guest on and they were talking about the fact that because of so much stimulus that we get from just the way we live, but also social media, those basic instincts that we have as human beings are sort of becoming more and more dormant and we don't know how to listen to them. Whereas before your instinct would be your biggest thing, you know. It's something that I still kind of go, oh, I, don't, I don't have a good feeling or, like, totally. you know. But I don't think people listen to it anymore. I think that's why people don't know when to stop. There was a phase on this, there was a phase on this podcast around maybe the tw- episode 20s, around, we're in like the 80s and 90s now, but there was a phase where I, I got obsessed with gut and, and so I, whoever, whoever was on, yeah. I was always asking them, because I, I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get enough of it. About gut and what what it meant to them, because uh, I'm I'm with you. I think it's, yeah. uh, I, I, I'm still not quite sure what it is, you know. Because you know, some people are answered with quite a spiritual, uh, some yeah. people answered from quite a scientific way. I think both the spiritual and scientific, technically, are the same thing. Yeah. It's just a different perspective of it. Um, I mean, Doctor Tara Swartz wrote the the book, uh, the source that's all, that's all about that. She she was aiming to almost dis in a way, disprove that the secret and the law of attraction is a thing. And what she ended up doing was proving it is a thing, but proving it scientifically. So she she married yeah. those two things together. Um, but I mean, I'm with you. I think the gut and trusting your gut and if I'm able to sleep on something and then I'll yeah. go to the gut to see what the answer is, I think yeah, absolutely. it's invaluable, I mean, I it? think I spoke to an actor that I worked with in Norway who was mm. a massive runner. This was actually the year of the marathon. And he was saying, well, there's nothing you can't fix by going on a long run. If there's something on your mind sure, or a big decision to make, go on a long run. By the time you come back, you'll know the answer. Yeah. And I, I remember that because now I'm like, oh, I feel really restless and I feel really anxious. And it might not always be a run, but it will probably be something physical I'll go and do. I'll take myself on a walk. And actually, when you're out there in nature, and I think it's been proven that when you're out in nature, you do sort of connect a bit more with yourself and... And your decision-making skills become better. So, I mean, there's so much to be said um, in terms of the advances that we've made in the and the environment that we live in these days in terms of just the technological advances and things like that. Yeah. But it's almost like our bodies haven't quite caught up with it or aren't quite... Like they don't necessarily always marry together. That's right, yeah. You know, and I mean, now, now it's a thing to, to have a digital detox and things like that, isn't it? Because people get so obsessive about it. Um I think my biggest bugbear with the whole um, sort of technology, more towards the social media side, is how much it really promotes comparison. And going back to what we were talking about at the start, I think it's, you know, it feeds into that whole negative cycle of, I need to do this, I need to do this, well, this person's done that, and why am I not there? And, you know, it's so easy to kind of not just, you know, for want of a better way of saying it, stay in your own lane, keep your head down and get on, do you, you do you. Now, now, we touched on it earlier. Good Karma. It's been a. It's a huge hit. It's back for season three. Um, can you please share with our our listeners um, if if you're not au fait with the show, and if you if you've not watched it, um, is it is it a show that you're able to catch up on? 
Yeah, I think can you start so. Season three. I think, yeah, you can. Yeah. You can. It's probably nice to start from season sure. one. Um, just because season one is just such a nice introduction because my character Ruby uh, is sort of thrown into this world of a cottage hospital in India and it's not what she expected. Um, you sort of see it through her lens in the first first season quite a bit. Yeah. So you get you get to really know the character. So it's quite nice to start from there. But I mean, if you're not into that, of course, <laughs> watch it from season three. You'll still get a great show out of it. The show has, I think I'd say it's evolved quite a bit from season one and it's in a way grown up a little bit. So the the um, storylines that we deal with can be a bit more harsh and a bit more, yeah, touch and go, I suppose. Um, for example, this year, Amanda Redman's storyline is very heavily based on um, an acid attack um, that happens to one of the nurses in the hospital. Um, so, yeah, it's, so it deals with things like that. But also, one thing it never loses is those huge themes of love and loss. I was about to say, humanity is a, yeah, a big, exactly. huge theme. It's hugely, and I think that, I think that's why it reaches out to so many people that... It might seem fluffy on the surface, but actually, if you sit there and you have been going through something, or or or, or um, know people who have been through something, that you can actually relate to quite a lot of the themes that are going on. And in season three, one of my big storylines is with Kenneth Cranham, who's lovely, um, and you know, and it's about a long lost love. It's yeah. about it's about all those moments that once upon a time felt like it could have given you a whole different life, and then you made different choices and. And where are those people now? And can you go back and can that love survive or how does it change and evolve? So, yeah, it's it's probably deeper than it looks on the outside. Is that a show? Are you able to, because it's such a hit and because it's on terrestrial TV, and be, you know, because so many people watch it, are you able to go to the shops? Do, 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 are oh, yeah, people I don't, I don't get recognised. I, I think I've got recognised a handful of times. You, yeah. The listener can't see my jaw hit the. I was expecting <laughs> you to say Sainsbury's, forget it. No, honestly, no. I think I've been. I was recognised once at Morrison's by a nine-year-old girl, which was quite nice. But no, I don't. I don't really get recognised that much. I don't. Know. To be fair, I spend most of my time in Lycra. You know, <laughs> I did come from the. You know, I've got. Like, I have got my leggings on underneath sure, my sure. jeans. Okay. So no. So um, and I do look like a drowned rat most of the time. <laughs> So I probably don't look as glam as Ruby with, you know, she's got a whole hair and makeup team glamming her up. But is that, that probably is the difference, though, isn't it, I guess? I think so. I think so. But also she's not... That sounded terrible. What I mean is... I also have a resting bitch face. I know I'm smiling no, now, but I genuinely do. I've been told it so many times. I'm really working on it, but I genuinely have that. So I think, like, Ruby doesn't. Ruby's got a lovely, like, smiley, smiley thing going on. But I'm quite... I look like I'm about to kill people half the time, and I re- I'm really not. No, I, I know what I just met. That that has not come across. That you, you no. I've well, not. I'm delighted by that. Um, but no, I don't get recognised. Um, the times I do is actually when I'm with my other castmates. So that's when that's when we get recognised. God, I bet people can't believe their look if they're a fan of the show and they see the cast together. Yeah, that, Jesus that's been wet. quite nice. We've been asked for photos and stuff because we'll often, especially me and the two boys, will often um, hang out and have lunch or whatever. Oh, that's so, so nice, isn't yeah. it? That must that's make nice. the that makes all the difference, doesn't it? To a working atmosphere to I become so. pals with you. I think so. It really does. Um, I'm in a theatre show right now, and it's probably uh, one of my friends was asking, "Oh, well, is there? There must be somebody that you don't get get on as well with." And genuinely, and we're across quite a few. I think there's three of us that are a similar age, and then actors that are quite a bit more experienced. But we all really get on, and it's something that doesn't that doesn't happen. 
I think it does happen often where you can connect with people, but where where everybody's on the same place and everybody's gelling together and everybody really has each other's back. I think that's what um, I experienced with some of the cast in Good Karma and, and all of the cast in the show that uh, that I'm doing at the Soho Theatre right now. And it does make a difference because your whole work life becomes amazing. And it's so interesting because when I talk to a lot of my mates that aren't in the acting industry, the norm is actually that there's people that really piss them off at work and there's all these politics, which which is everywhere. But I suppose that's the nice thing about an actor is you do a job and then if they weren't that great, you can leave on. Leave totally. Them on. Um, but when you do find friends for life, it's great. It really is. And also without yeah. uh, without blowing smoke, uh, I mean, with blowing a bit of smoke, I guess, you are an innate, you know, you are an innately likable person. So if you are... Oh, that's nice. No, but if you are... I've, I've heard I can be really hard work, you know. God, say, all that self-work has been... Has been I was going to say, but if you're, if you're on a job and you're other actors, it would be, it's going to be easy to... Yeah, like I'm not. I don't have to name names, but we all know the stories of uh, yeah, exactly. people who behave like divas on film sets. You know, yeah, I think I, I say diva. It's 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 entirely men that I'm thinking of. I don't think it's just men. I think it can be women as well. I think a lot of it stems from insecurity, um, which I can understand. But I also think I'm going to blank this out. I'll blank the name out. <laughs> I heard a, an amazing uh, some amazing Mickey Rourke stories from the really wrestler. yeah oh, astonishing. Okay. Because wow. they, they had to, because he was on the Oscar. I can't keep this in, but because yeah. he was on the Oscar push, so Darren Aronofsky had to pretend that, oh, he's a changed man, oh, Mickey really? Rock, what, what a guy. And then once the PR campaign was finished, yeah. Aronofsky came out and said that was a lie. He was a nightmare. Him and Marissa yeah. Tomei hated each other so much. I, and, and I actually so on and think so on, it's a know. shame that sometimes, uh, and I understand that for PR, people do have to keep up facades and you do have to say certain things. But I think it's a shame that. Uh, it is happening more, but I think it's a shame that people don't get called out totally. for being total dickheads, basically. Yeah. Because um, a, it gives a false sense of what reality is really like, and b, there's a hundred other people that are hell of a lot nicer totally. that deserve it more. And I think those are the people that need to be celebrated and pushed forward. So, I mean, I have a lot of strong opinions about that side of stuff, but in terms of when you're on a job, my belief is, especially if you're high up on the cast list, that it's your job to be the example. I mean, when I worked on The Hollow, Russell Tovey was the best number one, um, so that that would be the lead on the call sheet um, that I've ever worked with, and and that sets the tone. It sets the tone for for what a set is like. You know, nobody tiptoes tiptoed around any of us. Everybody was just really lovely because that's the tone he set. And Russell's had so much experience uh, compared to me, and yet we're sat there joking and laughing calling each other all kinds of crazy names under the sun that probably can't be broadcast. Um, <laughs> it's but inspiring. It, but really inspiring and really yeah. supportive and really kind of not only would be able to give me support and advice and feedback on what I was doing, but actually cared about what I thought as well. And when you're in a scene, not just selfishly just doing it for for his shot, but actually cared about the scene. And it's probably the closest I ever got, and I hadn't stood on stage until now for about five years, the closest I got to that sense of, being in a scene with somebody where it's just about what's going on between those two characters and their world rather than, but do I look good at this angle? <laughs> <You know? laughs> sure. Which I think you can get a lot of. And I understand, you know, your face is going to be on screen for however long in with YouTube and whatever the internet, that, that, that's, that's how it is. But I think, I think vanity can be really destructive. Now, I, no, so, so I do a lot of, when I'm not a balance, I do a lot of TV warm up. Mm-hmm. And to totally back up what you're saying there, the person at the top, it does feel, it, I found it really inspiring to say Harry Hill, Sarah Pascoe, Al Murray, Ramesh Ranganathan, I could go on and on and mm. on. These are all angels 
And so because they're so lovely, I feel I'm, I'm going to, as soon as this finishes, I'll think, oh, how did I not say such and such? John Bishop is another one. If the person at the top is lovely, it, it means that the producers are in a good mood. Yeah, the, the, it just the infiltrates in, the whole... Oh, my God. And there's so as, as you know, there's, the world, there's so many, you know, when you watch the finished product, all you see is the actors and the amazing photography. But actually, there are so many people on set. And, for example, in a show like Good Karma, yeah. we have... A double team. We have the Sri Lankan crew, absolutely, and then we have the British crew. Yeah. Or in season one, we had the crew from from South Africa as well. Um, we've got all the extras. We've got different ads dealing with different things. You've got locations. You've got the people dealing with the animals. You've got people dealing with the vehicles. You've got all your people from catering that are making sure you're fed and watered all the time. You've got people holding umbrellas for you to totally. make sure you're not sure. dying of sunstroke. You know, you forget that actually, without them, I mean, you'd be fucked. There would be no absolutely. show. Um, so for me, and this is probably the biggest thing I took out of drama school, um, aside from to project my voice because I used to talk like a mouse, uh, <laughs> was um, the actor's last. You are the last thing. You may be treated like you're the bee's knees, but you're the last piece of the puzzle because there was a ton of people doing a hell of a lot more work than you. And really all we do is sit around and eat biscuits, especially sure. in my case, bourbons. Um <laughs> Jaffa cake sometimes. Anyway, yeah. So we just sat there and, you know, and yes, you have to be prepared and ready to go on. But to me, the hardest work is the people on set all the time that don't get a break, you know. Absolutely. So. What, what can you share with us about the, the hollow? The? The, the, the Russell Tovey. Um... Oh, the hollow. Yes. Yeah, sorry, because I've just changed the name. It used to be called Because of the Night. Um, it's amazing. Oh, my God. But it's so up my street as well. So the hollow is based on Neil Cross's book, Burial. Um, which if you are really into intense, gory psychological thrillers, just going buy it. You can get it on Amazon um, to download straight away. Which Thank I you. I'm writing this down. Thank you. Yeah, do. It's really, um, oh, it's just, you know, when you pick up a book and you're like, I, I'm gonna, I'm just going to have to cancel all my plans because I'm just going to binge read really? this. Really? Blitzed it? Literally blitzed it in like one night, read it again the next day. Um, this was after I'd got the role. And... Oh, it was just wonderful to be part of because the writing, the script is so good. I mean, the book was good, but the script is, there's so much subtext. There's so much going on underneath everything that appears to be going on, you know, and Russell and Bertie in it are amazing. I and mean, that duo are just, the dark humour that infiltrates the whole four-part storyline is insane. And to be able to be part of Neil Cross's writing, I mean, for me, it's, uh, it, I think it was a highlight of my whole year. Um, wow! I remember having like an hour-long conversation with him, just talking about the text and and really geeking out about punctuation because I really love punctuation. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I'm like, so when you write a dash, what does that mean? Like, is that a, is it a thought? Is it a pause? Like, what, what's going on there? And all this kind of stuff. So I got super geeky about it. Um, but yeah, that was another set that was just uh, just a delight. I mean, it was long hours and it was hard work, especially for Russell and and Bertie because they were outside in the rain a lot of the time. Um, but just intense and like I think Russell and I were saying this is proper acting proper acting <laughs> you know and which basically means just we just get to relate to each other and have a scene but and the yeah. premise is, is delicious isn't it I, can't, I know oh, we can't so yeah. I can't spoil too much but can you can you tee it up I don't even know how to do it without spoiling so, so, I, so I would say um, I call it a modern day horror story or ghost story a modern day ghost story is really can, what I can say can we say that uh, his life is going a certain way and then Something yeah. comes from his... So Nathan's life is going in a very vanilla direction when all of a sudden it becomes more than chocolate chip mint. Oh, hello. 
Like literally. That should be the official synopsis. <laughs> and when, and Copyright Henry when... Tocharia. <laughs> <laughs> and and when, when is that on, please? That should be out mid-May. That should be out mid-May, yeah. I mean, this, yeah. I mean, this is... Uh, again, I yeah. you, again, I sound like your life coach here, but this is... This is boom time, isn't it? I mean, this is. I hope so. This is so exciting. Yeah, boom time is always good. Love a bit of boom time. Um, yeah. Now, be, now before you go, please may I ask? I know you've been asked this before, but the the Thrones experience that yeah. that that when when you look back, does that is that like a a dream now? It feels like a really. I feel like a very different person from that back then. It was literally my second job out of drama school. I mean, you'll be a different thing. Is you'll be yeah. as a human being, you completely. You, I was be different, in my you? early twenties. Yeah. I mean, it was the best experience I could have right then because what they don't teach you in drama school really is how to go on set and do the job. I mean, my drama school, Alra, did actually do a bit of screen work and we all had to go at being the boom operator and the director and the cameraman and all that kind of stuff so that was great that's great but nobody yeah. really tells you what a call sheet is sure what pink pages are which is revisions they're, they're all coloured differently did not know that yeah now you do pink pages pink, pink blue, means revisions the, to the script well, there's, there's, they go in I can't remember the order but you kind of go all the way up if you get to double white that means you've gone through a lot of different revisions nice <laughs> but um, yeah just stuff like that but the, I mean I it was an intense time because um, nobody really knew how big it would be, and then suddenly it just blew up. Um, you could tell from the writing it was going to be great. You could tell from the directing and the, and the way everyone worked that was a big deal. Um, for me, the biggest thing was to be able to work with so many different directors and so many different actors over two years, you know, and I made it to two years, didn't get killed off until season two. <laughs> so that was great. Um, but, yeah, it opened so many doors for me, you know, and at a time when when diversity wasn't as bigger buzzword perhaps um i think it really opened doors for me that perhaps i wouldn't have had the chances sure um, had i not done a job like that i mean i mean i'm I'm looking at your my favorite website is imdb, IMDb I, yeah. I adore it but i mean your imdb i mean it's 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 tremendously exciting it is exciting isn't it the way the way your career i mean you're the listener can't see this i'm just doing a straight line <laughs> but it's, it it is absolutely doing that isn't it in the in the greatest way possible you know you've, you've started I hope so i've learned very much especially in the last i think four or five years to really treat it as a business for a long time after drama school i'd feel the need to really just say yes to everything and i did a couple of jobs that i was like i really shouldn't have said yes to that um so and now there's more of a strategy in place yeah not not just a strategy strategy but also, for example, the play I'm doing now at the Soho Theatre was slap bang in the middle of pilot season, which is supposed to be like a really busy season out in the States where, you know, you get seen a lot and it would have been a good time to go for me because um, because Good Karma hadn't been filming for a while um, and it was just about to come out again. So then I got the offer for that job and, you know, and I really th- thought, well, this is a really important play. So it's not just about it being a good strategy, yeah. but it's also about doing the work that you believe in with a director that's amazing, Esther Baker, who works for Synergy Project. And she works with, um, you know, a lot of offenders and, and trying to use drama as a way of helping them rehabilitate and giving them work and putting on plays and using their stories. Um, that And it's just so current. I mean, it's about deportation and in the rise, you know, with the whole Windrush scandal. Absolutely. All that kind of stuff is is becoming more and more, people are becoming more and more aware of it. And I think to push that awareness through a medium like theatre, if you've got the opportunity to do it, I think people should do it. So the work has to be about 
there should always be a reason why you choose to do work. Sometimes it is just to pay the bills. I'm not going to lie. Of course. <laughs> but but to, to, to anyone listening, is there anything that, uh, that the listener could take away there in terms of thinking about things more like a, a business rather than just... Because I think, I think every, we've all done that, haven't we? Just, or if I say yes yeah, for everything... Yeah, I've know. started... Again, the, the way I've started to look at life is very much like a training programme. So you have your goal, ultimately, don't you? And you have your programme with your reps and sets and your rest periods. Yeah. And some days you might not make the reps or the sets or the weight that you wanted to get and there'll be different reasons for it. But ultimately you're moving forwards towards this goal that you had. Sometimes that goal changes and your ballpark changes. Sure. But you are following a programme for a goal. At some point, if you have to tweak it, I think you need to be not afraid of tweaking it. In other words, I think, like, go with the flow, but know where you're going. If you know where you're going, you know why you're going there. You're going to get there. I won't go with, you. I won't go with the flow, but know where you're going on a tea towel immediately. Yeah, I think the why, the biggest, biggest thing about training, life, whatever, if you don't have a why, you're sort of just shooting in the dark. If you don't know why you're doing something, or, I mean, who are you doing it for? So I think if you know why you want something, then you are more likely to be aware of how you can get there and what your obstacles are going to be. And if you're aware of your obstacles, it's going to be so much easier to deal with it. I'm not sure I've ever met anyone who's more than 10 years my junior who's who's proved such inspiring company. Oh, that was... It's uh, really nice. No, honestly, that was... Um, as I say, re- repeat, more than one time there, I was like, that. Oh, God, that's a great answer. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. Thank Huge you. congratulations with all your many ongoing successes. Oh, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, just uh, just wonderful. Uh, now, before we get, I think we, I think I've answered this already. Is there anything that you do for balance that you've that you've not shared? Anything that I do for balance that I haven't shared? Balance in life? Yeah. What I mean is, I know we've we've already covered quite a lot. Mm. The, you know, the reading, uh, the the PT, and so on. Is, is there anything? Yeah, else? sleep. I sleep. A Go lot on. more how, than I ever used to allow myself to. How many I hours almost, are you rocking? So my optimum is seven and a half at the moment because of the theatre show. Sure. I'm clocking up nine, which I've never done. Since nine? I was, I nine say, hours. What are you going to say, less? No, it's insane. I am like sleeping like a, like I feel like a sloth sometimes the way I'm just like oh my god we slept that long do you feel better for it yeah I do I've learned to kind of go do you know what I just need the extra sleep right now extra sleep right now because I'm doing so much so if I don't my body's not going to repair I'm not going to be switched on and you know go in terms of balance it's about that's the balance that I need right now generally I function on six to seven seven and a half hours but if my body needs nine right now who am I to tell it it can't have it how long does the play run until until the 21st of this month. 21st of March. Yeah. Book tickets at Soho Theatre. Yes. You get to see Trump and May doing the tango. If that doesn't entice you, you're bonkers. I mean, that that sells a show in a, <laughs> in a single sentence. Um, I can't think enough. It's been so lovely to meet you. And uh, Likewise. Thank you so much Thanks for everything. Me. That was wonderful. Great. Thank Ble- you. I, I non-ironically do that. So uh, bless your heart. Oh. Thank you. Huge and heartfelt thanks to Amrita. What a, as, uh, as I say, what a lovely dude. What a great soul. Interesting life, stuff about Norway, all of that. God, we need some of that, don't we? Some Norwegian comfort. Um, <laughs> how are you feeling? Honestly, I mean, I mean it. How are you feeling? I wish I could talk to each and every one of you. Um, get in touch, let me know how you're coping with it all. Um, I feel very grateful that a lot of my friends are very funny comedians. Tell you what, I'm going to recommend someone. He's not a household name. 
but he's really beloved on the comedy circuit. He's called Julian Dean, and he has been making me laugh as much as anyone else. If you're if you're a fan of the comedy circuit, you'll know Julian, but because he's sort of a circuit hero, <laughs> um, he's not necessarily a household name. So he, he is at Julian. I'm, I'm laughing because I'm just. <laughs> At Julian underscore Dean, and it's D-E-A-N-E. Julian Dean. And he's if you've seen him live, he's a one-liner merchant. Um, oh, man. And what I said before about laughing hysterically. <laughs> so a tweet, he's just, he's just saying this. I need a vacation. <laughs> Stands in bathroom. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep putting these out because I think... Got a few in the bag, and uh, a few still to come. Um, anyway, thank you. I really mean that. I turn this into like my own <laughs> Chichilian bunker. Chichilian. You don't say it like that, do you? Chichilian. It's like chinchilla. Um, at James Gill Comedy, we are at Balance LDN. I tell you what, we're so close to ten thousand Twitter followers. Uh, and yeah, stay in touch, and um, I'll see you soon. I ha- my thoughts are with you. They really are. Uh, and I've got to say, as I, and I'll repeat myself, I, I've been negative about social media on this podcast. But God, right now, I really feel it's... Um, I, I can only speak for myself. Right now, I've seen it as a real force for good. And it's making a lot of people laugh, so that's good. Um, and I do think... I do think that is one thing we Britons do have, is that we are able to laugh at the most inappropriate moments laughter in the dark there's, there's something very british about that isn't there you know um yeah i, I mean i could <laughs> probably tell i could i could chat easily for another hour but uh, i imagine you've got um stuff to do God, that sounded a bit sad how i said that didn't it anyway what i said earlier drop us a line podcast at balance.media but then crucially sales at balance.media Cheers, guys. Take care. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.